That's a growler. Welcome back to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one loopophobic minute at a time. I'm Bobby from Growler Media. And I'm Janae. And today we have Larry Hagner, the host of The Good Dad Project, and I have been a fan of and listening to his podcast for quite a while now. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. It's Friday. I'm doing good. Yeah. Well, like I said, we are glad that you're here to join us talking about this minute. But in case people aren't familiar with you, could you give us a quick breakdown of what it is you do? Yeah. So I'm the host of the Good Dad Project podcast, which the podcast has been around for about two and a half years now. Wow. It's a website. It's a blog. I've written two books. I've got four kids, four boys. So that keeps me on my toes. <laughs> keeps me very, 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 very busy. I said very, right? Yeah. yeah. Very, very busy. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. been married for 14 years. Wow. Uh, wife, wife is my best friend. She's, she's a rock star, but yeah, that's me. That's what I do. That's so awesome. Cool. Well, like I said, we're glad to have you here and hopefully later on in this podcast, we'll get to talk a little bit about Maurice and Belle's relationship, which I thought would be fun to do with you since being a, a dad is kind of your, your area of expertise. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, this minute is minute 45, and we start off with Lumiere saying, Where are you going? And ends with Belle getting thrown from Philippe, surrounded by wolves, and Philippe realizing this is not the best situation for him to be in right now. (laughs) Philippe's the one realizing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think Belle had already realized at that point. Uh, Janae, do you want to kick us off? Sure, sure. Okay, well, my first sit down and watch of this minute, the very first thing that stuck out to me was where so she has just run down the stairs she's running out the door and she says this line promise or no promise i can't stay here another minute and i had never really thought about that line before and i just kind of hit me that like how promises are kept in our culture today and i was thinking about like what is the definition of a promise (laughs) and like all that geeky stuff so So everybody knows Webster's online dictionary says that a promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified and that it is a legally bind. Well, and separate description says that it's a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a specified act, which that definition specifically applies very much to the situation that Belle and Beast are in where she promised and made this quote-unquote legally binding declaration to the Beast that she would stay and if he released her father. And so she is breaking that promise that she made, which I'm pretty sure in the 1700s was pretty serious, I would think. Yeah, I feel like uh, it was, you know, much more of a culture of trying to keep your word back in the day, more than, more so than now, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was very interesting 
that she was like, promise or no promise, I can't stay here another minute, and ran off. And I also was doing some, I was trying to find, like, any academic resources about, like, the importance of promises in the 1700s or whatever, and I didn't find anything. But I did find some (laughs) interesting articles about the effects of breaking your promises to your children, which I thought was interesting and applicable since we have... Larry on and maybe you have some thoughts about this because some of the things I found were were that they talked about how breaking parents breaking promises to children reduces trust levels, um, it lowers self-esteem, it creates the potential for those children to become promise breakers themselves and stuff like that. What, what are some of your thoughts about that, Larry? I can speak to this uh, pretty raw because I've recently been called out by my, by my nine-year-old that I have not been keeping my promises. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I Like I said, I've been doing the podcast for two and a half years. And when I first started the Good Dad Project, I always thought like, man, I got to be like this example, right? I got to be this, you know, I can't screw up, can't make mistakes. And that was my view on it. But man, that was such a wrong, skewed, horrible view. <laughs> I found that the more um, real and transparent I am with the audience of like, hey, like I'm... I'm a moron at times, you know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and not just at times, maybe even all the time, like, but, but I'm learning from it and I'm aware of it and basically just sharing those experiences. So my nine-year-old has really gotten into, he wants to wrestle with me like every night. Um, <laughs> and we've got four kids. Like, so, you know, I, I try to, and my, so I have 11 year old, nine year old, three year old, one year old. And so I'm always trying to give a hand to my wife, you know, try to give the kids attention. But at the same time, my nine year old, like his love language, which is quality time, mm-hmm. not only quality mm-hmm. time, but one-on-one time. Mm. So to him, one-on-one time is how he receives love. Right. You know, like to him, that's filling his tank. Yeah. And so when he asks me to do something and I say yes, um, and, I, and I don't do it, it's like quadrupled you know, of the effect, I think, for him. So, like, lately he's been asking me, hey, Dad, you know, can we can we wrestle? He calls it, can we play? And for the past couple of nights I've done it. Well, last night I didn't. You know, it, it, time kind of got away from us, and I was tired. You know, I was basically being just a wuss about it. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm tired. I'm not really in the mood. Like, you know, whatever. He, he, won't, he won't even realize, right, because he hasn't <laughs> mentioned it in, in a couple of So I'm putting him to bed, and he's like, hey, why didn't we wrestle tonight? And I was like, uh-huh. Man. And I was like, he's like, you know, you, you told me we would. And I'm like, I was like, man, I'm sorry. You know, and I could give like every excuse in the book, right? Well, yeah, I was tired from work. I was this, I was that. But, but what is that teaching him? That's teaching him, well, if I screw up, I'll just make excuses that'll get me out of it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I just told him, I was like, you know what? You're right. Um, didn't I didn't follow through. You know, I take extreme ownership of that. I didn't follow through and I told you I would. I didn't. So I want to, I need to make it up to you. So you tell me, what is the best way for me to make this up to you? And he told me, he was like, let's wrestle tomorrow and you can't get out of it. And I'm like, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, these kids, I mean, they're, they're very, very aware of, of whether or not we follow through on our promises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I was laughing because uh, with my daughter, Lily, there'll be times we'll be like, okay, we'll get, we'll do that later. We'll do that, you know, before bed. And then we, we forget or she forgets or, or everybody forgets. And then like the first thing the next morning, she'll pop up out of bed and be like, hey, we didn't do it. <laughs> I'm like, man, they have minds like little steel traps and they, they don't forget when you say you're going to do something. And I thought it was interesting, Janae, kind of to, to what you were saying about Belle's promise that this is not even like 
something huge that has happened to her. I mean, she went into the West Wing, which she wasn't supposed to do. She saw the Beast's quarters and almost touched the Rose. And then he exploded because he's the Beast and just pretty much yelled at her and threw stuff around a little bit. So Mm -hmm. it's not like he said he was going to kill her or like threatened her really. And, you know, that's all it took for her to be like, okay, uh, I'm out, guys. (laughs) I know I said I'll be here forever, but actually not. Yeah, I kind of was thinking about that too. I was thinking, okay, she's being pretty reckless. She's I can't figure out whether she's either being thoughtlessly reckless or just like really reckless because she either doesn't realize how dangerous the woods are going to be that she's going Mm. into or she thinks that the danger in the forest is less dangerous than the beast, which she doesn't seem that afraid to me. She just seems like ticked off and she's like, uh, I'm running away because I just don't want to deal with you. And because she lost, he lost his temper at her. And I can't figure out if she is like afraid or not, because until she gets into the forest in this minute, she doesn't necessarily seem like afraid. She just seems like she's like determined to get out of there. Like you don't think she's afraid of going into the forest or afraid of the beast? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. I guess I just can't figure out her motivation here. I'm like, why? Why is she running away? Because he you're right. He didn't like threaten her life. He I mean, he was scary. Yeah, he was definitely very scary. But is she running away because she's scared or is she running away because she just doesn't want to be there anymore? Well, I think this is one of the the times in the movie we might have to remember that she is a teenager. (laughs) She's 17 years old and doesn't always think things out and just got yelled at by somebody bigger and stronger than she is. And so she's leaving. Reminds me about my little sister when she was a teenager sometimes and just kind of like threw a little tantrum, didn't get her way and, you know, would take off. And my little sister actually, (laughs) funny story, she used to like hang out in the woods by our house a lot. some of her friends and they were really into like harry potter and stuff and they had like these cloaks that they would wear and just like go hang out in the woods and do like nerdy teenager stuff i guess but one night she came in and she was limping and we were like what happened and she's like oh i was running back through the woods and a stick stabbed my foot and she had like a little bit of blood on her foot and i looked at it and there were two little holes and i was like uh that wasn't a stick that was a snake and you got bit and she was like no no it was a stick it was a stick and we argued with her for probably like 15 minutes being like there's no way a stick would make those puncture wounds on your foot and uh finally her foot started swelling up and that's when she let us take her to the hospital (laughs) are you serious Uh, yeah oh my gosh so she was there overnight she was fine but uh teenagers that's gonna be uh, fun looking forward to that (laughs) you've got a few years yeah yeah i've got a little while oh my goodness yeah so so lumiere and cogsworth at the bottom of the stairs right and they're like begging her to not go yeah lumiere's flames go out here so she like kind of as she i I guess it's like as the door closes there's this puff of air that blows them out but we know that he can pop them off and on whenever he wants basically so Mm -hmm. i was kind of wondering and then he looks like so sad and dejected when she leaves i was kind of wondering if when his flame goes out does it relate at all to his feeling and his emotional status oh that's an interesting thought i never thought about that i mean i think during the the mob scene where they're breaking into the castle he uses his flames as a weapon right and so he can make them you know change because of that but uh 
yeah, I hadn't thought of him being able to, or not being able to, but like subconsciously that they would react to, to his emotional state. Just a thought. Interesting. I guess the next note that I have is that we see her running off and it's a beautiful background. This, this shot where you can see the castle and she's, you know, riding away and she's real small at the bottom of the screen, riding away into the woods from the castle. And that's beautiful. But then we get a close up of her and Philippe. Philippe, his face throughout this scene is like the image of determination. You know, some nothing happened to him, but he's, he's the horse she's riding to get where she's going and he looks like he is ticked off and you know nothing's gonna stop him and we see that at the very beginning when they're just going into the woods and he's running through the woods and then also later on when the wolves are surrounding them and he's you know running away from that he just has his determination built into him and you know he's a farm horse so that makes sense but i see his face and i'm like man i wish i could be that determined sometimes <laughs> when i'm trying to achieve the things i'm going towards i love philippe he's like one of the best <laughs> characters in this movie <laughs> aside from cogsworth you don't know larry but i i just have this affinity for cogsworth he's my favorite person in this movie cogsworth yes yeah <laughs> yeah i i uh <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of, um, I kind of like the beast myself, just well, because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, to, to see the transformation he goes through and, mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. But just, I think it's funny that Cogsworth is a clock because he's wound so tight. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's right? so structured. Uh huh. You know, which is pretty interesting. Which I don't know if that had anything to do with the movie or not. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that that you point that out because that's something we've talked about in in previous episodes that I didn't realize until we started analyzing this so in depth is that you know he is kind of the the structured one trying to keep things in order, and he's a clock, so it makes it funny because it's Disney. So for some reason, when they're running along, Philippe stops in the woods, and I guess there's some weird sounds, and I couldn't figure out what they were supposed to be from, but I would assume maybe the birds. So, like, they scare the birds, and the bird made weird sounds, and they all fly up, and that's what gets them to stop. And we get a, a good view of some of these birds that are flying, and they have, like, these long blue and white striped tails. And I probably spent, like, half an hour trying to figure out what kind of <laughs> birds these were to help us, you know, maybe that bird is peculiar to a certain part of France. But I couldn't find anything about them. I feel like they might be pheasants, because they looked kind kind of like some birds that are in Bambi. And I went back and found that the two main birds that you see in Bambi are pheasants and quail. Uh -huh. And I looked up pheasant tails because that's like the defining feature that you can see in this movie. Uh -huh. And they look somewhat similar. So oh, a man. little bit. Like they're kind of um, like striped and they kind of have this like V. It, it kind of looks like they might be pheasants. But I feel like if they are pheasants, Disney exaggerated the tail in the movie. Yeah, because I, I, I googled pheasants because I don't know anything about birds, like the types of different kind of forest birds. I know like some of the, the raptors and, and their types, but I felt like this should be fairly easy to find. And I couldn't, I couldn't find anything that looked close enough where I could feel comfortable saying that's what kind they were. And I'm sure there's some hunting person out there listening to this podcast that's yelling at it saying it's a whatever it is. Right. But I couldn't figure it out. Sorry, guys. Next time. Yeah. Or maybe it looks like a ringneck pheasant. I don't know. I just looked up pheasant tails on Google and it kind of looks like it might fit, but I don't know. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> They're birds with cool tails. Yeah. Can we talk about second 41? I don't know if I'm jumping from your notes, Bobby, but um, Philippe totally takes out a wolf. <laughs> well, I that, that was kind of my next note is... That it wasn't, I mean, Philippe is the one, his body is the one pushing the wolf into the tree, but I kind of saw it as Belle. Like, first off, 
she she almost gets taken out by that branch and she dives mm-hmm. under it. And so her horseman or horsewoman ship skills are, are pretty good. But yeah, this this wolf is riding next to them. And yeah, she totally pulls the reins and like rams Philippe into the wolf that rams him into the tree and takes out this wolf. And she's she's pretty intense. I always thought when I saw the scene as a kid that like she didn't know what she was doing. She got lost. She falls in the lake. You know, she just gets totally taken by these wolves. But she's putting up a pretty good fight here. She's showing some skills in her riding abilities. She's fighting as much as she can while on top of the horse trying to control a skittish horse. So that combined with that she was able to like unhitch the horse and kind of even go after Maurice when he first got lost makes me think that she wasn't just sitting around reading books as a teenager. She must have been helping her dad a lot with the chores and, you know, I guess, I don't know why they they have Philippe besides to to pull the carriage, but I don't think they have like a farm or anything. He's an inventor, but she must have uh, had lots of responsibilities that prepared her for uh, being able to act like this. Well, they probably had a small farm because even if it's like a vegetable garden. Oh yeah. And I guess they do have the animals that she was feeding. Yeah. There's an awesome still that I, I don't know if you can see it, Bobby, and I I'm, I wish I could share it with you, Larry. It's a really cool still of like right after Philippe rams the the wolf and he looks like he's like doing this sideways hop and he looks so scared. We have to share. <laughs> I'll try and remember to share that on the Facebook group. It's so funny. But yeah, <laughs> I think um, I was thinking about this scene and it's like, this is probably the most, well, aside from Beast, like ranting and raving and stuff, this is a pretty scary scene. To me, I think this scene is more scary than the one that she just left where he was like yelling at her and throwing stuff around the room. And I was kind of wondering, I mean, because both of you are parents, like what is the age that this isn't too scary for like what like where do you draw the line what age is this too intense for kids or is it like they're if they're too little they won't get it you know i think at least with most disney movies i don't really think about like oh this is too intense for my kids but i probably expose them to (laughs) more than than they should sometimes i'm like um should i really be letting them watch this and then lily uh my oldest she's three and a half i mean she's very she talks a lot. She's very vocal and has a, a pretty pretty good vocabulary for a three-year-old. But sometimes she starts talking and it's there have been awkward situations where we have a conversation and then out of context, she talks about it later on around other people and it sounds really bad. And the example <laughs> I'm thinking of is that when I started concealed carrying, you know, I explained to her, hey, this is my gun. You don't touch it. This is why I have it, you know, to protect our family. If somebody was going to try to really hurt us, you know, I could use it to stop them. And, you know, you don't play with guns. They can kill people. And, you know, had that whole conversation with her. And, you know, she understands. And, you know, we, we go over the details, you know, to keep that fresh in her mind that, you know, she shouldn't touch it. And it's dangerous and stuff. But then, like, later on, we'll be out with other people and she'll be like, oh, yeah, you got to watch out for bad guys and daddy will kill them. And like, <laughs> oh, no. oh no, I'm like, oh, no, it's it's not as bad as it sounds. So I feel like I should probably do a better job, like filtering what all she's exposed to. But not a perfect dad. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think, Larry? Yeah, I mean, so I I actually just took my kids uh, shooting for the first time. 
And so, to, you know, I, I think that that's kind of, so I have my 11-year-old and 9-year-old. And I think to some people, I mean, I put some of the photos on my uh, my, my Facebook group. And mm-hmm. some of it was received well and some not so much, you know. Like some people, it's, some <laughs> people are diehard against guns. And, you know, and, and the thing is, is that my view of it is this. If someone were to break in our house, so I have a few different firearms. If someone were to break in our house or if something happened where all hell broke loose uh, in the world and you needed to protect your family. I don't want to be sitting there with a wooden spoon. Yeah. When Hurricane Katrina hit, I used to work for this guy back in 2007. He he lived in Louisiana. And when Hurricane Katrina hit, it was a very scary time because not only was it the hurricane, but they had looters everywhere. And uh, he had looters. There were looters that literally came to both of his neighbor's houses. And they were just tons of people just walking in their neighbor's houses, grabbing stuff. Wow. And he stood on his porch with a shotgun. And that was the only reason that no one entered his house. So, you know, if, if, any, if, if anything were to happen, you know, you want to be able to protect yourself. Now, my nine-year-old and 11-year-old are at that age where they're like, I want to learn, you know, they're, they're at that kid age. I want to learn how to fire a gun. So mm-hmm. I told them, I was like, look, you can't touch a firearm until we all take a, take, uh, a safety course together. So I took them to a safety course. They learned all about it, you know, the safety of it. And then, then we went and shot, you know, with, with actually a cop, you know, taught us, you know, gun range etiquette and everything like that. And they did well. They did really, really well. But they learned the safety of it first. And mm-hmm. if, I don't know, I mean, that's my view of it. If anything ever happens, you know, I want to, I want to be able to protect my family. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any thoughts as far as, like, when to expose your kids to the certain levels of media besides, like, the recommended age ranges? So as far as, like, movies and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm careful with that. Like, for instance, you know, we still watch a lot of kid movies in our family. I don't really, like, let them watch 300 or anything crazy like that. <laughs> um, you know, I mean... We, I don't even watch 300. It's <laughs> the best movie. Um, but, no, I, I, my view of it is, uh, I think you, because... You just never know. Yeah. I think you just got to be really cautious. You know, I think, you, I think you know when you know when it comes to your kids. Some kids are more mature mm-hmm. than others and some not so much. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to take their maturity into play. Yeah. Every kid is different. Well, speaking of uh, being careful in unknown situations, <laughs> we tie that back into uh, what's going on here in the minute that they're running across the water or the, the lake, I guess, that's frozen. I don't know if it's a lake or a river. And Philippe breaks through it. And I'm not from a cold area. I don't ever want to live in a cold area. And so I have no experience with ice forming. Larry, uh, what part of the country are you in? I'm in the Midwest, so I experience all four seasons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you know anything about the, like, safety rules for for walking on ice or being on ice? I know nothing about that. I just know you probably (laughs) shouldn't walk on it because you could fall through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's about where I stand on it. But apparently there are rules. And so I looked up the, I guess, I don't know who recommends them, but it seemed like everybody was pretty consistent. So the numbers I pulled off were from like, uh, what's it? Minnesota website. So I would assume they're, they're experts being in Minnesota. Basically it's, if the ice is less than four inches thick, you should stay off of it. Some people say if it's three inches, you can have like one person or people spread out in single file. Four inches and above is okay for ice fishing five to seven is okay for a snowmobile or ATV and then eight and up there you start getting into like a, a car or a truck or you know medium trucks once you get to like 15 inches so that, they that's just have thick. to like poke a thing down through to like measure the ice to know that yeah it looked like they would a lot of the websites had like okay use this drill to bore down and see how deep it is and or hmm. like call your local bait shop that should I guess, keep track of that kind of stuff. Interesting. That is all completely foreign to me because, like I said, being uh, from Texas, 
we mostly have summer and a little bit of cold now and then. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, it looks like the ice that they break through here is maybe like two or three inches thick. So it probably shouldn't have even supported them as long as it did. But they get a, a nice surprise bath in the freezing water, which is like my worst nightmare, falling through ice into freezing water. <laughs> yeah, I I thought, I mean, you get a good vocalization of her reaction to being plunged into cold water, but I felt like visually they didn't really do a whole lot to show that she should probably be like... Hypothermic? Hypothermic, in shock. Like, and when they get out of the water... It's like they're instantly dry. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no after effects. I'm like, uh, okay, well, a little bit of a fail there, Disney, but it's okay. It's a cartoon. I, I can let it yeah. slide. But still at the same time. Well, Philippe did have a little bit of a reaction. You know, when he fell in, he had a look of surprise and he kind of looked around and was like, oh, what just happened? And then right. it, that's the second time he gets his, his determined face on and he's just like, okay, let's do this. And I'm pretty impressed they got out of that ice yeah. water. He, he pushes through the ice, you know, swims and gets out and the wolves are jumping all around them. So, uh must not have been very deep. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Horses can swim pretty well, I think. Yeah, but like once you are in that water and your body starts going to hypothermia, I would think that it would be a lot harder to control mm. your limbs, control your ability to like get up out of the water. It just seems like it would be really hard. Basically, but, uh, Philippe is a boss. Philippe is a boss, pretty much. <laughs> well, the the last note I have is that, you know, they get out. Philippe gets scared because he's surrounded by wolves and accidentally throws Bell. And then his, his reins, like, flip up and get caught on a branch. And he has a hilarious face at the very end of the minute. I think it's, like, second 58 or something where he's looking at his reins caught on the branch. And it's just like, well, I'm screwed. <laughs> Aww. I thought it was interesting that they did this, like, zoom in on the reins as they were wrapping around the branches mm -hmm. to, like, kind of spell it out in a way that this dangerous situation has just increased in danger because now they're stuck, they're caught, they can't get away easily. She has no alternative except for to stay there and try and fight them off because she's mm -hmm. not going to be able to run fast enough to get away from them and it's going to take probably more time than she has available to unattach Philippe from the tree because the wolves are going to come and get her they're not yeah. going to stop trying to eat her because she's trying to get him unhooked so um and the music here also like between the shot zooming in on the reins getting stuck in the music, I feel like that's kind of a turning point in the scene for what's coming in the next minute. And the stakes are about as high as they can go, which is a really cool thing that they've done in the story and very important in the storytelling of the movie because at this point, she's in mortal danger. Like, there's nothing else she can do. And she... If forces beyond her own do not come and help her, then she's dead meat, basically. Yeah. So I I kind of really love the end of this minute where they've just raised the stakes as high as they can go story-wise. So Yeah, and like you were saying, the music during this whole woods forest chase scene has been, I think, more intense than we've experienced so far in the movie. You know, this is definitely a high point 
a dangerous part where she's actually for the first time in danger and not just a perceived danger that she has of herself. Yeah. I love the horns and the drums throughout this minute because they're just like so intense and yeah, driving the scene. They're helping to drive the story and the scene forward. And I love that. So, well, I started off the minute and uh, referenced that it was a, a lupophobic minute, which is, you know, scared of wolves. But I was really, gonna say, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's it's kind of inaccurate for me to say that. I, I, I threw it in there because it fit in the in the little tag reel thing that we have. But uh, she's not really that. I mean, she's she's adequately scared of them because they're attacking her. But we'll see, especially in the next minute, that she's putting up a pretty good fight. Like, she's not scared to death. She's not just sitting there, your typical, you think of Disney princesses and being a damsel in distress. And that's one of the reasons I've I've loved Belle is that she is not that person. You know, when her dad gets lost, she goes out to find him. She goes out to help him. And when she's out here being chased by wolves, she's doing what she can to fight them off. And now that she's stuck in this situation, we'll see in the next minute that she, you know, just grabs a branch and goes at the wolves. And it's like, you know, if this is where I am, I'm not going to leave my horse to get eaten because it's a possibility that she could leave Philippe there stuck and the wolves would just eat him and she could run away. Aww. Um, but <laughs> yeah, kind of sad. But she grabs a branch and tries to defend him and fight together with him. So I love her determination and that she's scared of them, but she's not completely uh, incapacitated by that fear. And so she's going to put up a fight and do the best she can till the end, which thankfully is not her end. <laughs> yeah. I think in a way I really like that comment because... It shows her, because I feel like, uh, I don't remember which minute it was, but we had some guests on and we were talking about how she's just a dreamer and she needs to get out of the books and like go do something to get adventure mm -hmm. in her life if she wants it. And I think this kind of um, proves in a way her worthiness for that adventure to come into her life. And she's not, she's not just sitting around dreaming. She really yeah. is pulling her weight in her life and trying to do things that are important. Well, um, like I said, I had a few questions that I kind of wanted to address to you, Larry, since you're here and your specialty is being a dad and a father and trying to improve in that area. We don't have Maurice in this minute, but I wanted to go back and kind of look at some of what we've seen of him and their relationship and see if you have any insights or any, any comments into those or into that relationship. So we saw them in the very beginning when he was in the workshop and she was telling him about her day and he was listening or i guess he was hearing what she was saying but he wasn't really understanding he wasn't reacting appropriately to what she was saying so he he heard the words but he wasn't listening to the meaning behind them and yet it seems like they have a, a pretty strong relationship they're definitely there for each other they love each other and you know they can confide in each other but at the same time he's kind of off in his own little world doing his own thing and doesn't always pay attention to what's going on around him and I feel like I kind of relate to that a lot because I'm the kind of person who gets into a project or something and it'll just kind of consume me for a while. And a lot of times I'll look up and realize that, you know, my son has been there for a few minutes trying to get my attention <laughs> and I wasn't really paying that attention to him. Well, it's impossible for us as fathers to multitask. It just really is. Um, <laughs> to prove the fact that women have more gray matter um, in their brain and they can multitask better than we can. But yeah, most of us are... We're distracted a lot. I mean, I think uh, it's pretty typical 
of a father being distracted because it takes it takes focus, it takes practice, it takes concentration to really, really be there because our minds are always searching for what is the next thing I need to do? What is the next thing I need mm-hmm. to conquer? What's the next thing I need to, to do to stay on top of everything? And sometimes it's very hard to, to uh, surrender that as, as men and as fathers, but it's something essential that we have to do. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. The other thing that I wanted to to kind of talk about a little bit on the the subject of a father is that we see her, you know, go to save him. She realizes that he's missing. And so she takes Philippe and goes to the castle. Well, she didn't realize she was going to the castle, but she ends up at the castle trying to find him and make sure he's all right. And so he's locked in the jail. And in that classic scene, you know, Belle trades places with him. She takes his place and you know, he's not happy with that decision. He, he's like, no, Belle, you know, I'm I'm old. I've lived my life. And, you know, that's the, the deal that's made anyways. And so the rest of the movie, he's trying to go back and get her and save her. And so I kind of just wondered if you had any thoughts on that as a father, if you're, I don't know, it's all a theoretical situation, but, you know, how would you feel if your kid sacrificed themselves for you? Or, you know, what would you do to, to go back and try to, to save them from a situation? Um, that's a good question. Number one, I think you got to take it as a compliment, uh, that you probably raised that child, right? Uh, that they're, they're doing the most loving thing in the world. Right. But at the same time, I wouldn't be able to go on knowing that my child took my spot. I would feel exactly Mm -hmm. like he did where I, Hey, I've lived my life. Just you go live yours. Forget about me. I'm good. Yeah. And I, because my life would not be complete without my kid there. And plus the agony of wondering what was my kid going through being a, being a prisoner mm-hmm. or being whatever would destroy me, totally destroy me. Yeah. And I, I think that's what we see from Maurice. He makes some pretty bad decisions trying to get back to Belle and trying to go save her, you know, going off in the woods, lost alone in the winter to fight a giant beast that he knows there's probably no way he can actually, you know, fight him. And I think that's due to his emotional state. Like you said, he's not willing to accept that she traded places with him and he has to live the rest of his life without her. Right, right. I think that's one of the things that I do love about Disney's um, version of Belle's father, because in the original, he doesn't really, in the original, like, French novel, he doesn't really seem to make any attempts to go back and try and rescue her. He kind of just accepts that... She is gone, and I'm not sure whether it's because he has, like, five other kids, and he's like, okay, I got to take care of them, and he obviously loves her because the whole reason he got, the whole reason he was imprisoned at the Beast Castle in the first place in the original was because he picked a flower for Belle, Mm -hmm. and so he loved her and was trying to give her that gift, but... I do think that's one thing that I like that Disney did is they kind of changed up and made him more of a caring father. And you can see that, I mean, she's all he's got. The mother's gone. There's no other kids. And I think it makes him a little bit more lovable and relatable than if they had stuck to the true original version of this father with a bunch of kids. And he kind of just accepts that she's gone. Yeah. As you're saying that, I just now realized that I have like a sad story in my own family history that's very similar to this. So my great-grandfather, Crispine, he was a crop sharer here in Texas, and he had 14 kids with his wife. And after the 14th, she decided she was done, I guess. And so she left. She just kind of left. And so it was him with, with the 14 kids and one of the younger daughters, she was two, they had a fire in their house because they just had a little bitty 
crop sharing house. They had a fire there and she got too close to the fire and fell in and got burned pretty bad. And he had, you know, a job and had to take care of the 13 other children. So he had to let a family that was nearby take care of her for her recovery and stuff because her older siblings weren't able to, to give her that much attention. And so they kept her for a few weeks. I think he left her there during the day. And then he had to go on a trip eventually for work. And uh, so he had to leave her for like two weeks. And when he got back and went to go pick her up, the family had moved with her. <gasps> and so they stole, you know, his his kid. And my great aunt, I believe, it's the one that I was talking to about this because I hadn't heard about this till I went and talked to her and asked her about, you know, like, what is my family? <laughs> she was telling me that her dad was just torn up inside. Like he couldn't stop working because he, if he stopped working, he would lose his job. And, you know, they were crop sharing and he couldn't, if they lost their job, they lost their house. And he had 13 other kids he had to take care of. So he just had to, you know, keep doing his everyday life, knowing that his daughter was, you know, gone, was stolen, abducted by this family. And thankfully it has a happy ending, kind of, in that my great aunt was reunited with her younger sister, like when they were both in their 30s and 40s, she finally was able to to find the family and find her sister who was at that point, you know, married and had kids of her own and stuff and grew up being part of that family, not realizing that she was a part of a different family. But they were able to reconnect and are close now. But I just can't imagine like what he went through as a father, just having to accept that and say, okay, I have other children that are that I'm responsible for that I have to take care of. So I can't go after the one that's missing. I don't I don't know how I would handle that. <laughs> so on that happy note. <laughs> Okay. Well, that wraps up this minute then. As always, if y'all are looking for more episodes, you can find them on growlermedia.com. You can also find us on Facebook. We are Beastly Minute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the episodes there as well as screenshots from the minutes so you can see what it is we're talking about in detail here. Yeah. Shoot me an email over at Growler Media if you need to get a hold of me. Uh, Janae, what about you? If you would like to get a hold of me, you can email me at janae.hyatt at gmail.com or you can go to my website, janaehyatt.com and listen to some of my voiceover portfolio. Awesome. And once again, Larry, we are glad that you were able to be here with us and share a little bit of your insights into Beauty and the Beast. So if people want to get a hold of you or get in touch with what you're doing with the Good Dad Project, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can just go to gooddadproject.com. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. And I would definitely advise everybody, especially fathers, that's mostly who it's for, but I'm sure mothers would also get stuff out of it, to go and subscribe to the Good Dad Project podcast because it's great. I love listening to it. So go check that out as well. And until next time... Don't run into the wolves at night in the winter with a pack. Or don't run into the woods <laughs> at night in winter with a bunch of wolves following you. Something is really different. I'm a growler. I'm keeping your bones.